0: I am not my line. 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 Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4 Z 102.1 FM. My name's Andy and I will be your companion for the next hour. Um, and... We are going to be talking today about Turnstile Community Hub. Um, many of our Paradigm Shift listeners would be familiar with this space, a house in Highgate Hill on Laura Street, where our residents for a number of years, it's functioned as a share house, and downstairs they have opened the space up for a whole variety of projects and events, things like uh, a weekly a local organic food co-op uh, a black workshop where people could come and work on bikes uh, get assistance in how learning how to fix a bike um, uh, there's been a choir meeting there there's been a lot of gigs fundraisers and things like that um, all kinds of events amazing an amazing variety of events over a long time we're talking about 15 years since it started. Uh, So, it's a significant history, and sadly, it is a history that is coming to an end and is going to be just history. Um, Turnstile has been told they have to vacate 10 Laura Street, and it was odd circumstances in which it went, because there was an effort to fundraise enough money to buy the house and continue Turnstile, but it... Even though they managed to raise an incredible amount of money, they uh, they couldn't buy the house in the end because the uh, the price kept going up. And so there's lots of things to reflect on about this. But one is like how inspiring this space was and what it contributed to um, the community of Highgate Hill and West End, but also Brisbane's radical community and. Um, the imaginations of those people who came there and learnt other ways to think about space. But there's also things to reflect on about just the private property market um, and the way it just shuts out creative uses of property. Um, So we will be talking both over this week and next week. Uh, I've been working to record the history of Turnstile, I think it's valuable too, and so I've been recording a number of interviews. Today, I'm going to play three of them. Um, Joe Hallenstein, who for a long time was uh, the real um, behind-the-scenes organizer of Turnstile, lived there and um, was the contact point for a lot of people. Joe Sanford, a lawyer who has been working on um, trying to save the space recently and who's also been linked for a long time. And I also speak to Zoe Buckley-Lennox. I I wanted an example of the way that Turnstile has contributed to uh, radical political organizing. And Zoe was involved when she was quite a young woman in organizing some big events, fundraiser events, um, that were part of her political education, I guess. And so I called her up and we had a, a bit of a reflection on on that and so that's what's coming up stick around both this week and next week uh to hear about turnstile and hopefully uh be inspired because it is an inspiring story despite everything that's happened very recently um i might start off with joe hallenstein apologies the audio on this interview isn't quite the best joe was somewhere out in the sticks building a renewable energy project but um uh He's got plenty to say. So let's have a listen. All right. Um, Could you start off by introducing yourself?
1: I'm Joe Hellenstein. Um, I lived at Turnstile for eight years, from the end of 2010 towards about the end of 2018.
0: So um, what was your – let's start with your first memory of Turnstile. What was your introduction?
1: Oh, uh, this is quite funny. My first memory – Um, I turned up there on my bike one afternoon in the hot summer sun and I remember just being extremely hot and sweaty, dripping with sweat and I turned up to try and have a look at the bike shed because I read in somebody's ad on Gumtree who was looking for a housemate that they lived in the coolest street in Brisbane because Turnstar was there and uh, Turnstar had all these cool things including a community bike shed and I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Sounds a bit like Ceres in Melbourne, which I was a little bit involved in. So I turned up to check it out and rode up to the house. I thought the bike shed was supposed to be open at that time. And I remember standing at the top of the driveway and just thinking, this doesn't look really right. It just looks like a normal house. can't see anyone here. Stood there for a couple of minutes and was about to turn around and ride away. And someone popped their head out of the garage under the house next door and said, hey, uh you looking for the bike shed? And I said, yeah, exactly, and turned out to be a guy called Michael who was living at Turnstile at the time, and he took me in and showed me around. The bike shed was pretty good, and then he showed me around the house. By the way, would you, we've got plenty of food. Would you like some food? Can I offer you some biscuits or some cakes? And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's okay. Thanks very much, but don't need to eat your food. And you're responded, oh, no, don't worry. It's dumpster. Or he said something like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right, dumpster, okay, okay. I don't know what that means, but not entirely sure, but it's all good. I don't need to eat your food. Anyway, eventually I met Paul, had a good chat, and I was actually looking for a house at the time. I just moved to Brisbane, but that was my first introduction to Turnstile. It was very interesting, and yeah, I often think back to that day when I first met Michael and Paul, because a lot of my life over the next 10 plus years has really been dependent on that meeting.
0: Yeah, and there's something quite turnstile about like a a normal suburban street, but then you venture under there and this whole other world that's um, contained within this space, eh? Yeah, it's very unusual
1: and quite special. I don't think there's any other place like it in Australia, from what I understand. It's exactly that. It's just a normal residential house on a normal street, normal neighbours and... It's a house with four bedrooms upstairs. It's a Queenslander. And then underneath there's this big space. And that's a really good space to be used for all kinds of things. So that's the turnstile space. And obviously there's a garden as well at the back and there's a community bike shed that has been there. It used to be under the house next door for a while. While that was also rented by the same group of people. And yeah, a lot of things go in there. It's, yeah, it's really good. And over the years... It's become a bit of an institution in the street through some of the things that have happened in that house and things that have been organized. And it's, yeah, it's really a part of that local community now.
0: How it has changed a bit over the years. How would you say it's developed over time? When I first moved in
1: there, it was, it was a relatively new thing, turnstile. So it had been a share house for quite a while. they there was a bike shed operating at that point and it had been for a few years helping people fix their bikes and there'd been some other events going on and it was building up into more of a community space and that sort of increased over time initially it was it was really a group of friends who were living there and a lot of the people that used the space were their friends it was sort of a uni student type hangout and over time I guess I was part of this or that group of friends got older, they finished uni, they got work. People started having full-time or part-time jobs. And also at the same time, the area was gentrifying and it started to become a bit harder to have big parties and late nights and lots of noise. So over time, I think for both of those reasons, the turnstile space and the things that go on there have changed to be a bit more community-focused and local area-focused and more about community groups and less about big fundraisers and parties.
0: There was an incredible number of residents over the years um, that you lived there, and obviously it's not um, necessarily for everyone living in a space that doubles as the community space. Um, I want to can you give us insight into some of any issues that came up and had to be dealt with in the course of running Turnstile? There were lots
1: of issues that happened over the years, I think. I lived in those eight years, I lived with about 45 odd different people in the house and it wasn't a huge turnover. Like there were four bedrooms and you know, on average, if people stay about a year, then you have four people moving a year. And that was kind of what it was. We tended to have a couple of long termers and a couple of shorter termers in the house. It's definitely a challenge or it takes a special type of personality, I think, to be able to live in a share house that also has all these other things going on all the time. You don't really have much privacy. You don't have much time to yourself. There are people knocking on the door at all times of the day and night asking if they can help with something or talk to you about something or, you know, someone told us we could come and sleep at this place and we want to stay a few days. That All kinds of things happen. There are a couple of issues in the house with the housemates, as you would expect in a share house over a period. There are a couple of issues in the space, uh, yeah, people being uh, acting in a way that was not okay in the space towards other people and either being threatening or, yeah, not really welcomed in that space and having to deal with those things. That's a challenge when you're working in a community space that so you don't want to really turn anyone away, but you've also got to manage the, the thing to make sure it's safe for everybody and everybody feels comfortable um we had some issues with the neighbors a couple of times to be honest they weren't mostly our fault we had some other neighbors who were extremely noisy they played punk rock at all times of the day and night which was quite disturbing for us as well but we got the blame for that because we were next door all the standard things you would expect with yeah there were times when an upset neighbor because of being disturbed by someone else's music got in touch with the council told them we were doing all kinds of things that we weren't doing and the council came around and or sent us letters and came around and talked to us and ended up going back saying, Yeah, no, everything you're doing is fine. But that happened once at the time I was there. I know it's happened once since yeah, they're the things that you that you sign up for, I guess, when you're involved in the space like that and lots of activities are going on and lots of people are coming and going.
0: The makeup of the street has also changed a lot. And there was a period where you know, either side of Turnstile was share houses and there was less likely to be complaints. But the street ha- did change a bit over the time you were living there. Did that affect Turnstile?
1: Yeah, the streets changed quite a bit, just in terms of Highgate Hill becoming a, a bit of a, a trendy suburb to live. So, as houses have got sold, a lot more owners have moved in. There's a lot more rental, a lot fewer rentals, as you mentioned. Both the houses on both sides of Turnstile eventually were sold and the owners lived there. Uh, it made a bit of a difference to Turnstile, not a huge difference. It changed the demographic of the people who were using the space a bit. So initially, a lot of the people who came were, you know, a similar age to those of us who were living in the house and at a similar stage of life. So it was quite easy to organise things that people enjoyed. And over time, you know, we have things now like the choir, who meets there every week and some quite a few of the members of the choir live in the street or in the, the nearby surroundings. And generally then they're, they're an older generation. Yeah. And just because of the way that the area has gentrified and the people have got older and now there are kids living around as well who we go to bed early, all those kinds of things. The focus has shifted a bit from, from the fundraiser side of things and the, the parties and the live music that used to happen there quite a bit to more smaller things, earlier things that don't disturb the neighbours as much and don't make so much noise. So Turnstile's adapted to that over time.
0: And for many years, you were the contact point for people organising events. Can you share with us what are some of the most unusual events that ever happened at Turnstile?
1: Definitely the most unusual request was to have a celebration for World Nudist Day or something like that. I would have to go and look up exactly what it was. But someone got in touch with us asking if they could do some nude gardening to celebrate this day and whether they could do it at turnstile. That was a quite an unusual request. And in the end, that's something we declined after some discussion with the people who lived in the house. Thought it wouldn't be the best thing for us and for our neighbours. I remember we had a show for the Anywhere Theatre Festival Back in the day, I think when that festival was just starting out, that was pretty special at the time to have a theatre performance under your house. Um, maybe not so unusual in terms of people finding it strange, but certainly unusual from the point of view that of it not happening very often. We had a lot of live music. Initially, there were lots of musicians who were associated with turnstile, and we often had... The place is a live music venue and we used, you know, people volunteered their time and energy, which was the same pretty much with everything that happened at Turnstile to support different causes. So musicians would come and play for free and we'd raise money through donations for different groups. And we had a lot of live music performances in the Turnstile space downstairs and that was really special. It's such a small venue that you'd really have a, a special experience sitting there Listening to some, you know, some really talented musicians perform. One of the musicians who came and performed once, um, not wanting to, to speak down to any of the local musicians, but we had a musician from the States, same alliance who sang Cows with Guns. He came and performed at a fundraiser there at one point and drew a pretty huge crowd. And yeah, it's, it was just really special to be able to sit in the audience within meters of these fantastic musicians and listen to them play. That was something that I always found very special.
0: Um, Turnstile installed solar panels at one point. It's quite unusual in a a rental house that the tenants uh, install solar panels. Can you tell us how that happened? Yeah.
1: As a bit of background, my day job is working in renewable energy. Um, I'm an engineer and work on developing utility-scale solar and wind and batteries. So one of the things I've always been interested in is solar power and We, as a house, decided that we would see if we could get our landlord to install solar or if we could install solar for the landlord on the turnstile roof back in, I think it was 2012 when there were still some rebates available from the government to encourage that. So we ended up doing the numbers and we worked out that if we installed the solar on the roof, we'd probably pay it off in about five years through the savings from our electricity bills. And then we went to the landlord and said to him, look, we'd like to install solar. How about us installing it for you? And so we'll pay for it. There's no cost to you. And in return, if you kick us out within the five-year period that we think we're going to be paying it off, then how about you reimburse us for the portion of the cost that we haven't yet paid off? And convinced him. And in the end, we signed a written agreement with him that we would – pay for the solar and install it. So we installed a, a five kilowatt system on the roof and it's been there ever since, which is excellent. It's obviously providing power to the house and it's providing power to the neighbors houses as well because we sized it. So it was uh, doing the calculations initially. The size of the system was such that it would generate a bit more power than we used in the house. So so it's a pretty satisfying thing to have been able to do for some tenants to be able to fund the installation of a solar system and reap the rewards in terms of reduced electricity bills but also using solar rather than fossil fuels
0: well so it seems now turns out days uh, are very numbered. I, w- I wonder somebody for you who's put a lot of work into this space over the years how does that feel to um i mean be going through this yeah it's
1: it's a real shame it's. I find it very sad that the Turnstile space and the days of the Turnstile organisation and and activities happening at that house are almost over. As you said, there's been a lot of time and energy and effort put into that house in particular. The residents and friends of Turnstile have made a lot of improvements to the space to make it a more suitable venue. Um, you know, there's a lot of... Equipment there, such as the cob oven that can't really be moved, the pizza oven. So it's pretty sad that that's all going to end. On the other hand, it's something that was always going to happen one day. It's It's been a rented house for a very long period of time, and one day the owner of the house was going to sell it. Um, the circumstances, unfortunately, at the end were pretty unsatisfactory. There was a bit of goings-on. Between people that outside of Turnstile's control, we sort of, there was an agreement made with the landlord about selling the house to Turnstile so that it could continue. And in the end, he didn't honor that agreement. And the residents were sort of, the residents and the Turnstile group were kind of left hanging, unfortunately. Um, but it's something that was always going to happen at some point that the house would be sold. It's in an area that's been gentrifying for over a decade. Probably many decades, West End and Highgate Hill around Brisbane are becoming pretty trendy and turnstile is just another, another symptom of that change. And unfortunately, it's just one of a number of venues and community spaces that have or are closing down around that area. It's, yeah, it's a bit symptomatic of the fact that as a society, we place a lot of value on material wealth and we don't really place a lot of value on community and the things that turnstile brings. And unfortunately there's not really much that these groups, including turnstile can do when the means, you know, that turnstile is not commercial, not for profit. It only was there because the residents could support it by paying the rent. And so it didn't really have any ongoing costs, which I think is really what allowed the turnstile space to exist for so long. And as the rents go up and Places are harder to find and the area gentrifies. It just it gets harder and harder to have those kind of spaces when there's no focus on allowing that or encouraging that to happen. So, yeah, it, it's very sad for me. It's sad for many others. It's sad for the current residents who are getting kicked out of their home and you know, they're the ones who've been putting in the effort for the last little while. I hope somewhere, somehow, there'll be another turnstile or the same turnstile will pop up somewhere else. There's never been any copyright on it and for a long time part of the message that we've been trying to get out is that, sure, this might be special and it might be good, but there's no reason why you can't do this in your own house or in your own street or in your own community. So my hope and I think the hope of others is that people find a way to build something else to take its place once it's no longer there.
0: And We were speaking with Joe Hallenstein about um, Turnstile, about uh, what went into making the space and what he thinks is, are the important things for its legacy. Um, it has been evicted as so many other spaces. Sometimes, I think, not just in Brisbane, in various cities, as you walk around and you, you can just remember everywhere that used to be, yeah, that used to be a music venue, that used to be a meeting hall, a community space, whatever, um, uh these, the way these things get sacrificed to the market, you know, um, anything that's trying to run off the, the intangible values of uh, community, of social progress, of radical ideas, uh, comes up against the more concrete values of money that surround us. And that has, is what's happened to Turnstar um, I spoke with Joe Samford about who's been involved in this process in the last couple of months as Turnstile was given a notice to leave and the process of trying to buy it and trying to come up with creative community ways of managing that need for money. Um, so let's go have a listen to Joe. Could you start off by introducing yourself?
2: So. Shall- my name is Jo. Um, I have been connected with the Turnstile community for about 10 years or so.
0: And can you tell me what is your first memory of Turnstile?
2: Well, look, it is going back into the depths of history a little bit, but I think it was um, at the start of our food co-op, which is the Turnstile Bulk Buyers Food Co-op. We actually started that off with just a bunch of 10 friends um, in a, a friend's living room in Annalie um, and we ended up being able to move that space to Turnstile. Um, I can tell, talk a little bit more about that food club if you want, but um, it was we were growing as a bit of a community-run initiative and it was really great to be able to move that to a better space, which felt like, you know, I guess, being a, a bit of a second home or a new home.
0: Do you want to very briefly talk about what the Food
2: Co-op is? Yeah, so the Food Co-op is a bulk buyers collective um, and that means that we actually pool our resources to buy local ethical uh, produce in bulk at wholesale prices. So it started as a bunch of students who were, you know, dumpster diving and, and wanting to sort support food connect and some of the ethical and fair food uh, initiatives around the place but we couldn't actually afford really struggled to afford some of the pre-packed boxes and so we decided we'd put our heads together put our money together and buy buy some of the bulk boxes like 10 kilo box of tomatoes and then distribute it uh, amongst the crew and that was the seed of the idea that then became the turnstile box by Boot cop which has been running for 11 years i think.
0: Mm. So the co-op is one of many things that have gone on for a long time in the Turnstile space and one of many things that he's now going to need to find a new space to try to do it because Turnstile has been evicted and you've been a part of this process of dealing with uh, the space and the landlord and things like that. So can you give us a, a bit of an overview of what's the state of play at Turnstile?
2: Yeah, so, look, maybe it's helpful just to do a quick recap of the last few months. So, um, a lot of your listeners would have heard of or gone to the Law Street Festival in October last year, uh, which was an amazing event, and literally the week after, the landlord told the residents that um, he was playing to put the property in the market in the first half of 2022, about now, and, um, you know, that... He'd be giving them notice and they'd need to move on find a new property and, you know, take down all of the infrastructure and, you know, the paintings and various things that have been been put there to make turns feel like a real community space. Um, there's a lot of people who have been connected with the space and lots of talk about, you know, community-owned and community-led decision-making and even community-led financing. So we actually asked the question, well, could we actually pull our resources and our heads again together to actually buy the property and we went through a little bit of a process um in a really short period of time we're actually able to raise the money um to actually buy the property um but a lot of uh a little bit of a roller coaster the last few weeks and you know probably don't want to sort of get too into the all to all the detail but basically the the sad thing is that Um, Ultimately, um, the the owner wanted um, more money than he'd initially said and, you know, those efforts to pull together that money and meet the landlord's initial asking price weren't enough in the end and so the landlord's given a notice of eviction anyway and have to move out by the end of the month.
0: So, I mean, there's a few things that are notable about this. I mean, one is that the... The goodwill, the intangible value generated by Turnstile over the years ultimately isn't valued when it comes to who has control of the space, but it was enough to generate that people wanted to um, give money, you know, that people cared mm-hmm. enough about Turnstile to keep it. And th- so that says a lot for that, you know, cultural community value. But then even that is just not enough in our current. Market, which just is is purely driven about um, money and profit. And it's just, it's so inhibiting of any kind of community when ultimately money rules everything.
2: Yeah. So, so I suppose one of the great, uh, the beautiful things that the story in your comment shows that when there is investment in community, there's social bonds and there's... Um, you know, people see value and are actually often willing to put money in, maybe not necessarily to make a profit themselves, to continue it. The challenge we find in the property market, the current property market that's so hot, is it's moving so quickly um, that it's really, really difficult for communities to actually go through a process to get that money together, to have a proper democratic decision-making process. But even when they are, to actually be able to compete with You know private investors who are able to move much more quickly with landlords and agents who know it's a seller's market who are willing to be really ruthless. Um, It's really really difficult to I suppose we can unpack the whole idea about competition but here we've even got a community that got its resources and its best minds and hearts together to compete fairly and even they weren't able to effectively and equally
0: in that system to hold on to their community asset. Mm. I think a lot of us sort of figured that maybe this would happen at some point at Turnstile, and in fact, the space has already had challenges as the streets changed and with neighbours mm. and things like that. But it really is just this reminder of how difficult it is to build lasting things that aren't based around making money.
2: Mm. I think that's true, but then I also have hope because the even though perhaps we weren't able to secure Ten Laura Street for Turnstile, the impact of Turnstile has been really significant on so many people and groups um, that have been connected to that community, and the. I think communities have always been surprised by what they've been able to achieve both long-term and through long-term investments and even in this really short period of time, these last few months when a lot of work went in and amazing things were able to be generated. And in one sense, there's that intangible impact that those lessons and learning and that hope will have on those individuals and those groups. But also as well, we can also take A lot of those initiatives and some of the models and the investors who are willing to come forward to take projects and properties and also ultimately turnstile at 10 laura street wasn't attempting to be all things to all people but to inspire people to think differently about space and i don't mean to sound pollyanna in what is a really difficult tragic devastating turn of events but i'm also hopeful that we can take and learn some of these lessons and put it into you know other projects and other spaces I don't think we've lost that uh, that intangible impact
0: Mm. what do you see as the important things of turnstiles legacy
2: yeah look I think I mean everyone will have a different perspective and different maybe memories and vignettes or or different words that resonate with them right so mine's just one perspective but I really like the idea of sharing and sharing freely and resisting the commercialisation of space. Um, People often think, oh, how can you run a space without charging fees? You know, there's overhead costs, there's insurance, there's all these sorts of costs that are associated with the perceived need to formalise management of those spaces. So one thing is actually... We've talked about those things in the past, but actually it's been incredibly resilient as an informal space um, without needing to have a not-for-profit or a charity and a board, um, without needing to, you know, charge, you know, to use the space. It's worked incredibly well. And there's some structural... and you know, settings in terms of having a long-term lease with relatively cheap rent, that the residents have been able to effectively cover a lot of those costs. But, you know, I suppose, It's a bit of a nice little kind of counter-cultural narrative against the sort of formalisation and corporatisation we see in a lot of spaces in our world, including in the not-for-profit space and including in even, you know, leftist and radical spaces. Um, So I think that's a really interesting experience. And for me, as someone who, you know, works in a professional service. I'm a lawyer, so I look a lot at laws and risk. So having that kind of experience has been really important for me in my thinking. Um, The other impact I really feel and see is the idea that of sharing. I think there's that saying, you've got more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. And that that is something that we can do wherever we are. We don't need to... Book a hall, or you know, create a, again a formal entity. We can actually do it from our own homes. Like if you have space under your house, if you've got a garage, if you've got a nice spot in your garden, shaded, you could actually do a lot of things that um, represent and show that spirit of sharing. Um, you know, it's about opening up our lives and and creating spaces for connection and and kind of you know troubling that. Those boundaries we put in place between what's public and what's private, you know, it's nice. I mean, we've seen our neighbourhoods change so much and walls going up, not even able to go up and knock on someone's door because you have to buzz them at the, you know, the key coded entry. Like, turnstile, you know, I don't think they even have a key and they've never been, they never shut the door and they've never been robbed. So it's a beautiful example that we don't necessarily need, you know, those high fences. We can actually achieve security and connection through sharing. All
0: right, thanks very much, Joe. We were talking with Joe Sanford about Turnstile. If you've just tuned in, it is, and you've never been there, it's a, a house, a regular rental house in Highgate Hill that for the last 15 years or so has operated as a community space, a space underneath the Queenslander. Um, and, yeah, there were some big gigs. Some of the biggest ones I can remember actually were fundraisers for the Malls Creek uh coal mine anti coal campaign in western new south wales it, it was quite a long way from brisbane but a lot of people in brisbane was a big climate movement and wanted to support it and so there were fundraising events run for this blockade camp which were humorously called blockade in the style of live aid or band aid um, and uh, when I thought about the Turnstiles' contribution as a political space, which it has been, so many different groups have used that space, and I thought about um, those events as a great example of really big events that could be put on because th- there's this space that existed where you could just run an event. I mean, raise raised a lot of money, um, and also it influenced the, the, a lot of people to then go on and do other activism, one of which is uh, Zoe Buckley-Lennox, who... He's now living down in Sydney and has done a lot of activism. So I thought I'd call up Zoe and uh, chat to her about the influence that running those events had, um, both at the time and uh, on her subsequent political organising. Could you start off by introducing yourself?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, Hello, I'm Zoe. Um, I was, yeah, living in engine for a long time and involved and actually lived at Turnstile briefly.
0: What's your first memory of Turnstile?
3: I think I actually came to a food co-op there once um, was yeah back before I was really involved in activism and knew the community I think I came along with a, a friend to a thing and I, I think I don't know my memory is just always of it being this like kind of beautiful hippie alternative abode with a beautiful garden out the back and big chickens And yeah, cool community space with a library that's just full of lots of books that would be nice to read one day.
0: (laughs) There was lots of political events happening there over the years, especially in a kind of period in, I guess, the early 2010s. And some of the biggest ones I remember were the uh, block aid fundraisers for the Malls Creek um campaign against the coal mine down there and you were a big part of organizing those zoe can you tell us a bit about uh the Moles Creek brisbane action group and those
3: events yeah totally yeah so i think it was about in 2014 if i remember correctly um when there was a bunch of activity down at the Lead state forest um on gamilara country and um yeah there was a bunch of protests happening They were trying to stop a massive coal expansion. And I was lucky I got to go down there because I knew a few people and, yeah, was arrested and got really inspired by the amazing blockade camp happening there and all the activity and just the resistance. And, yeah, when I got arrested, I got given, like a lot of people, ended up all of these bail conditions so that I couldn't return to the site. And I was very frustrated, but I really wanted to be able to help and support um, the amazing work going on down there and they needed money and also just like awareness raising to get more people down there and taking action on the ground. So um, yeah, got together with a few other folks who'd been doing some climate activism around Brisbane, across different groups and started, yeah, organizing a fundraiser basically. And uh, that's where like blockade came out of and yeah, also, were connected to some of the music scene. So got bands on vo- involved and started doing fundraising and sort of trying to tell people more and more about the Laird Forest blockade and getting information about how to get get down there. But yeah, we sort of had our, our first event and it kind of, yeah, it was a lot bigger than we first imagined that it would be because um, so many people were interested in in the blockade and taking action and also just like good times. Um, with some good bands
0: Yeah, it was a very kind of West End event at that time of West End of uh, young hipster kind of people into music who knew were mingling with environmental activists and different things and Turnstile provided this space where these groups could come together to link two group you know, people that wouldn't necessarily be connected to each other but West End was that kind of place, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, totally. It was cool. Um, I think a lot of people came. Well, I mean, I, like I know we talked to you, Andy, on 4 Z and got out promo like that um and then also just putting up a bunch of posters around west end i think a lot of people saw those um we had this cool like black and white design and also yeah as you said sort of connections yeah i think actually a bunch of people there you're right didn't even really know about turnstile or much about the blockade for that matter or the um the issue so yeah it was cool to get a bunch of those people showing up and being part of it and
0: yeah well i have this memory of um Baba Ghanuj playing but because of all the speeches and everything they got their set got cut to about like two songs or something and they were very like gracious about and it's funny because obviously like Harriet has gone to be quite successful and everything and it's funny to have that memory of them back then do you remember that?
3: I remember, I remember them being late or maybe we were running over. It was all such a chaos that night. I just remember my like one of my strongest memories from that evening was actually just like it getting to about 7pm and starting to get dark and then realizing we had no lighting set up. Um, And just being like frantic running around trying to sort out the lighting. So I don't, apart from that, I don't remember a whole bunch of it. But that, yeah, that that sounds about right. Yeah, but it was really cool how a bunch of bands got on board um, just by like basically explaining the situation in the lead. And yeah, as you said, a bunch of those people are now pretty big. Aiden played and now he's like really famous in Confidence Man as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So before those fundraisers, had you done much political organising?
3: Not really. I was quite young. I think I was only 20. This is a, it's a real bit of a throwback. Um, I'd mostly got involved with climate stuff. I hadn't done heaps of political stuff.
0: You hadn't done much, before, but Turnstile really did provide an opportunity for you to um, just go out and And begin organising these events, eh?
3: Yeah, that was what was really cool about it is like i had very little experience organizing at that point and just a fair few connections and knew a few people and then turnstile really provided the space to like get people together and i, I think that was when i started become more involved in turnstile as well and yeah learn about the other groups that were using the space and yeah it was really fantastic also just like the the arrangement was amazing we also used the wood-fired pizza ovens at that Um, at Turnstile and had heaps of people, yeah, making pizzas as it went, which was cool.
0: And you've gone on to do a lot of other activism and um, political organising since then. Do you feel like the Turnstile and those beginnings have been an influence on what you've gone on to do?
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was pretty amazing just the power of people showing up um, to those events and, like, inspiring me and in terms of like doing more organizing and movement building and people powered stuff i think what was so cool about the stuff that happened in turnstile and in that moment in west end was just that yeah it was just a few of us doing a little bit of organizing drawing on our connections and we managed to get a whole bunch of people out there and interested we ended up throwing another um some of those bands from that um, event actually ended up going to the lead and taking action as part of the one of the bad attack events that they were holding. Yeah, so I think the what I learnt from yeah, turnstile and also you know, it takes a small amount of people doing a bit of organizing and being connected to a community to really turn people out and get people fired up about these issues and that's definitely influenced the sort of work that I've done over the last five, ten years. I mean, I just think that Having a, like a space and a hub where lots of people can come to together and can be used in such a versatile way is just like so important in building community. And I think I've especially noticed, noticed that because, you know, over the last two years, we've been in enough lockdowns through the pandemic that, yeah, not having a hub and like a melting pot to meet people and build connections and bring people together is really hard. And it makes you look back at places like Turnstile and, um, yeah, just like community hubs that people can have conversations and organise around and just, yeah, really see the value in them. And, yeah, I hope that, you know, the end of Turnstile isn't the end of a space in Brisbane or, you know, maybe it's the beginning of a different space in Brisbane where people can do that sort of community building and sharing of ideas and organising because, it's just incredibly powerful for really bringing people together and levelling up their commitment to change-making and our progressive world.
0: All right. Thanks very much, Zoe. No worries. <laughs> that is Zoe Buckley-Lennox there um, talking about her experiences um, organising events at Turnstile, um, the space which is being evicted. It has been a, a staple of Brisbane uh, alternative culture uh, over a long time. Of course, there's been many other spaces, but Turnstile's been one there and been one that's very accessible for all kinds of groups, um, not requiring liability insurance or even any money or anything generally, um, and just a real great model of sharing. Um, we are coming to the end of the paradigm shift. ...show for this week. It's a less final end than Turnstiles because we will be back next week um, and in fact talking about Turnstile again, I've got a bunch more interviews about things uh, like the Laura Street Festival, a bit more about um, how things to set to support local organic food and things like that were set up. Um, but, uh, nothing ever really ends, you know. The impacts of things that you do live on in the people that came along to them in these small, intangible changes that you make and effects that you have. And so I think, hope that's one of the things that has been inspiring about this show and about Turnstile and its existence is that, um, it, it opened up a space for new things to happen. And, uh, from there, who knows what goes on? You, you've just got to make the space and allow people to come together, allow people to learn and exchange, and then uh, the rest is uh, limitless, you know, as ripples go out to all kinds of places. And so uh, it's been, a, I think, the there's a lot of celebration as well as a lot of, Um, sadness around the end of turnstile and uh, maybe a bit of anger at the system of private rentals and private ownership that has meant that... It's ended this way, but also a lot of um, joy in looking back at everything that's happened at Turnstile and the effects that it's had. So tune in again next week for a few more um, interviews. It's a bit of a project I'm going on in documenting this because so often these spaces don't really get documented in the same way that much less interesting um, but more famous (laughs) things get written about endlessly. See you next week.